أشهد أنك قد أقمت الصلاة The first of our salawat in honor of Rasulullah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. The second loudest salawat in honor of Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen alayhi salam. The third with your loudest voices in honor of the Imam of our time, Imam Sahib al-Asr wa-Zaman. Respected scholars, brothers and sisters, Salaamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullah wa Barakatuh. Imam al-Hussain alayhi salam used to love his salat. No doubt this can be witnessed throughout his life, but especially at Karbala, in and around the events of the 10th of Muharram. That when you look at what took place in Karbala, in and around the events of the 10th of Muharram, you see that Imam al-Hussain upheld the teachings on the importance and the power of Salah in the same way that it was upheld by his grandfather, peace be upon him, and his family. Sadly, however, we face an epidemic in the Muslim community worldwide where there is at the moment a major neglect of Salat. There are many in the Muslim community who have either left praying completely or do not necessarily pray so regularly. You'll find that there are those who don't pray at all. They are a group of people who may have the love of Ahlul Bayt in their hearts. They have a good base in their life. They may be good human beings as well, but you find that sadly when it comes to their salah, they don't pray at all. Fajr, you can forget about. Dhuhr and Asr, you can forget about. Maghrib and Isha, you can forget about. But you may still Find these people, for example, at an Eid gathering in your house where they have come to wish you Eid Mubarak. When these people come, they recognize the celebrations such as Eid, as Eid al-Adha or Eid al-Fitr, they'll be there. But when it comes to their Salah, they have now reached the stage in their life where they have amassed a great number of what we would call Salat al-Qadha. Yes, a number of prayers that have to be prayed. Because of the fact that they've missed them now completely. Imagine that somebody hasn't prayed their salah now for well over 15 years, well over 20 years. But they say to you that, look, I'm a good human being. I have a good heart and so on. What is the law that applies to such people? Likewise, you find at the same time, there are those who pray sometimes, but not all the time. In the sense... That there are those who will put their hand up and say that, listen, I pray when I can. If there's a period that I don't feel like it, I won't. But when I feel it, I do it. So if I'm feeling in a good mood, I'll pray. If I don't feel that mood, then I won't pray. They will sometimes, for example, pray three days in a row. And then they'll miss seven days in a row. And then they'll come back to their salah after four days. And then they'll miss it for a month. You might find that these people will pray Salat al-Jum'ah sometimes. At least 
they recognize that, look, I'll be there for Salat al-Jum'ah. You may not see me the whole week, but you'll see me on Friday because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that I have to pray Salat al-Jum'ah. Even though Allah says there's other prayers to pray as well, Jum'ah is more convenient because Jum'ah can look after me for that whole week. And there are others who pray but they combine all of their salahs at the end of the day. So it's true that you have to understand that I'm somebody who's busy at work. So I can't pray Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib and Isha. So I pray all 17 at the end of the day. In the sense that all of these rukah that you asked me to pray, I'll pray all of these rukah at the end of the day. As if there's no point then for having Dhuhr and Asr if you're going to make it salat after work. If it's going to be salat after work, then we have to introduce a new salah, the salah after work, so that everybody can go home at the end. The reality is that there are many of those who claim to love Allah and His Prophet who do not pray salah anymore or have neglected salah completely. What do we do about this epidemic in the Muslim community? Because in the last year or so, I've witnessed this around me personally. Where you may be out with a group of friends. You're going out to chill. There's nothing wrong. You can go out and enjoy yourself. But then when Salat al-Maghrib comes, you'll see if you're in a group of six, seven friends. Three of you, two of you may get up and do wudu and pray. The others have no intention that night of getting up. Even though you know that, hold on buddy, we've been here. From, for example, 8 o'clock, salah is going to become qada very soon. How are you going to pray? How are you going to make up this salah? You'll find we've reached the stage where salah and its importance is very much lacking in our communities. And that's why you'll see that some of the youth will look at some of their elders. They see that those elders are not paying attention to their salah. Then that youth likewise will not pray as well. So therefore, when it came to the salah, the Holy Prophet would keep stressing that if your prayers are accepted, the rest of your acts are accepted. And if your prayers are rejected, then the rest of your acts are rejected. If, for example, now I come Majalis and Hussein in Leicester or anywhere in the world where people are wonderfully observing the message of the Imam, and I come to Majalis al-Hussein for 10 nights. When I come for these 10 nights for Majalis al-Hussein, is it enough to substitute my laziness in salah? Is it enough to substitute my negligence of salah? Because if the hadith says that if your prayers are accepted, the rest of your acts are accepted. But if your prayers are rejected, the rest of your acts are rejected, then that means that all my other acts that I'm performing are acts that are going to be rejected in one way or the other. Ahlul Bayt, therefore, you find stressed on the importance of salah throughout their lives. For me, to be a true Husseini, Karbala'i, lover of Ahlul Bayt, salah has to be fundamental in my life. For all of the ziyarat of Ahlul Bayt, you'll always read one line. Ashhadu annaka qad salah. Do you all agree that in every ziyarah of Ahlul Bayt, of the renowned 
ziyarat of Ahlul Bayt, such as ziyarat warith, for example, every Thursday night, you say, Ya Aba Abdullah, I swear that you are the one who upheld and established salah. When I say this, what am I saying? I'm saying and I'm recognizing that the key to the success of Imam al Hussein's Risala on the 10th of Muharram was what? Was Salah. That Salah of Imam al Hussein on the 10th of Muharram, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honored and allowed to preserve until our lives today. Therefore, tonight, I'd like us to reflect on the importance of Salah within the teachings of Ahlul Bayt. And I'd like to do this in the following stages. Number one, if I have so many prayers that I've not prayed, what's the easiest way to make up my qada prayers? Number two, if I neglect my salah, can't Ahlul Bayt just do shafa'ah for me on the day of judgment? As in, can't they just stand up and say, let this person to heaven? Number three, what is it to not, or what is it to be of those who neglect salah. And how do I ensure that I do not neglect my salah? Number four, how did Imam al Hussein pray a salah on the 10th of Muharram while there were arrows flying around Karbala? And which companion of Imam al Hussein said to him, Aba Abdullah, let my body protect your salah. And how important was this companion of the Imam? And number five, how did the children of Karbala even highlight that if they were just allowed to pray and then get killed, that would be the best honor for them in the eyes of Allah? Let's examine this and dissect the topic in complete depth. When I was at college, I wasn't that religious. And when I wasn't that religious, it meant that at lunchtime, we were not praying for Hor and Asr. And then when I went to university, you could forget about Maghrib and Isha. Because while I was awake at Maghrib and Isha, I missed it on many occasions. And likewise, I've reached a stage now when I look back, I ask myself a question. How do I make up for Salat, which I have missed? Yes. There may be people in this hall over here who are perfectionists. They have never missed one Salat in their life. But I'm sure that there are some people of the listeners worldwide who will admit that they have missed certain salah and that they have neglected salah on certain occasions and that there have been times where they wish that they had prayed. As an imagine that you look back at your youth and you think, you know what, I missed my salah. Question is, how do I make up that salah? As in, what do I do to make up that salah? Imagine that now someone asks me a question. I want to calculate how many salah I have missed. Can you calculate exactly how many salah you have missed? I don't think so. There's no way. Because somebody might turn around and say from tonight. And this is the beauty of the month of Muharram. That from tonight I want to make up for all of these prayers that I've missed. Because it's wajib in one's lifetime to make up for the prayers that they have missed. If it's wajib in my lifetime that I make up for the prayers that I missed, what do I do now about those prayers? How do I calculate? If I look back now and I think to myself that I'm not sure, what do you do? What you do is 
that you think to yourself how much or how many days or months or years you were certain that you missed salah. Okay, so imagine I came and asked you a question that did you miss salah for one whole year? You're like definitely one year. If I ask you two years, you say to me definitely two years. If I say to you, have you missed salah three years? You say to me definitely three years. If I ask you four years, you're like, Four, I'm not sure. Three, I'm certain. Four, five years, I'm not too sure. Then you stick to the figure that you're certain about. Don't go into a world, although it's great if a person can go into a world of ihtiyat, where they say that, you know what, Ya Allah, I feel that I neglected my relationship with you. So therefore, I want to make up that relationship in a world of Toba. And that I want to make it up by doing the maximum that I can. But three years of Salah Qada, I know that I definitely missed three years. Some people here might turn around and say, Sayyidina, three years is too much. I missed two years. Or they might even turn around and say that I missed two months. Those two months or those three years. If you are certain it's two months and not three months, then stick to the two months. And make up those salah. Someone says, okay, but when I want to make up those salah, I have to make these salah back up. In which way do I have to say everything that I would normally say in salah? This is fundamental. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not burden you with that which you cannot handle. There's no way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would say to his creation, pray. But then when you want to make it back, I'm going to make it extra difficult for you. On the contrary, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to build a relationship with us. Our salah does not affect God. If I pray or I miss my prayer, how is it affecting God? Not one bit. But when I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it cultivates humility in my heart, gratitude in my heart, thankfulness in my heart. Ya Allah, you gave me children, you gave me a wife, you gave me lovely parents. You gave me health, you gave me wealth, it builds my relationship. Therefore, I want to make this up again. When I want to make this up in Salat al-Qadha, as you know, normally in our Salah, we have certain actions which are mustahab. Those actions you don't need to do when you're doing Salat al-Qadha in replacement of the prayers that you've missed. What do I mean? For example, Qunut normally is an act that we all do when we pray our prayers. Sometimes, Qunut is not wajib. Qunut is only mustahab. If a person prays their salah without having prayed their qunut, their salah is still okay. A person doesn't have to do qunut in salah. Therefore, when I do qaba prayers, do I have to do qunut? No. There's no need for you to do the qunut in your salah in qaba. Likewise, you find that the tasbihat, we have the tasbihat, subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar. We normally say it how many times? Three times. Do you agree? As you know, you don't have to say the tasbihat in, for example, the third or the fourth ruk'ah. You can read Surah Al-Fatiha instead of the tasbihat. But when you're praying a salah, which is qaba, you can do one tasbih instead of what? Instead of the three. You're making up your salah. You can say, Subhanallah, Walhamdulillah, Wala ilaha illallah, Wallahu. That's it. Once 
and then you move on. So therefore, that's number two. Number three, when it comes to your tashahud, normally in tashahud, there are parts of the tashahud which are wajib and there are parts which are only mustahab. What's wajib in tashahud and which you say when you're doing qada? All you have to say is you go, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, wahdahu la sharika lah, wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasoolah. Allahumma salli ala muhammad wa ala muhammad. Allahumma salli ala muhammad wa ala muhammad. Assalamu alaykum. Assalamu alaykum is all you have to say up to that point. A person normally in their tashahud will say, Bismillah, wa billah, wa alhamdulillah, wa khayrul asma' al-husna, kulluha lillah, ashadu an la ilaha illallah, wahdahu la sharika la, wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasulallahumma salli ala muhammad wa ala muhammad, assalamu alayka ayyuhan nabi, wa rahmatullahu wa barakatuh, assalamu alayna, wa ala ibadillah al-salih, assalamu alaykum, no, in your qadha, ahlil bayt, through the works of our maraja, may Allah lengthen their lives, you find that they tell us that in your qada prayer, those of you who miss prayers at college or miss prayers at uni or miss prayers until today, in your qada prayer, you don't need to say the whole of that tashahud. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, wahdahu la sharika lah, wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasoolah. Allahumma salli ala muhammad wa ala muhammad. Assalamu alaikum. Done. That's all. Therefore, you found firstly that qada. Someone says, I heard you can pay someone to pray your qada. I wish. If we could pay, that would be the best investment we could ever make. Yes. It's a shame that we neglected our Lord for so long. And now I wish it was that easy that we can call a Mawlana and Um. Or we call a Mawlana and Najab and say, Mawlana, listen, I have 40 years of qada to make up. I'm willing to pay you because there is a salah. In fiqh, for making up salahs that you've lost, known as salat al-istijara. Salat al-istijara is a salah which a person can pray where they pay somebody to make up which qada? The qada of someone who's died. Allah. And that's why I always say to people, if you've neglected salah and you want to be a Husseini, a Karbala'i, a lover of Ahlul Bayt, then in your will, make sure you've written to your eldest son, write down that if you can, then you're the one who makes up the qada. And if you can't, then from the estate that I leave behind, yes, as we know in Islamic inheritance law, two-thirds of what you leave behind, you can't mess about with. That the Quran gives it out. I sometimes meet people who are like, my son, this building's for you, and my daughter, that building's for you. You can forget about all of that. That's not going to happen in any way whatsoever. You might as well give them the building while you're alive. Otherwise, after you die, the Quran takes over the buildings. Yes? But two-thirds goes to who? The Quran gives one-third is part which you can give out. You could say in that one-third, I've missed salah. Phone somebody in Qum or phone somebody in Najaf. Now, you know, Mawlana's in Qum and Najaf, they're ready on speed dial. The moment you want Salat al-Qadha to be done, you can look after this Mawlana's risk as well. As in many of these Mawlana's live in conditions where it's difficult for them with their children. Sometimes where they live is not easy, school fees, food and so on. And one marja of Al-Muhammad and a grand scholar built the best library for Al-Muhammad 
from his salat and istijara. How many of you have heard of Ayatollah al-Mar'ashi al-Najafi? Ayatollah al-Najafi al-Mar'ashi, you find this great alim of Al-Muhammad, the one who collected all the books written ever on the Imams, by the Imams, from the companions of the Imams. This person, do you know how he collected all of these books? He collected them in which way? By making sure that he prayed Salat al-Istijara. If someone had a, a, a deceased who had passed away. And that deceased who passed away. Even if it's one day qaba, You still have to write it in your will. That look, I've missed one day. If I don't make it up. Then make sure that somebody makes it up for me. Ayatollah Mar'ash al-Najafi wanted to get money. Money for what? For his house? Any of you who go to Qum. I beg of all of you. Go and visit his library in Qum. Those of you who love reading about Al-Muhammad, go and see the treasures from this man and what he left behind. Believe you me, the best of treasures that you'll ever see. That man, what did he do? He prayed Salat al-Istijara. Those people who had qawa, they would come, they'd pay him. Therefore, in Islamic law, someone says, hold on. What if my dad had Salat al-Qawa? Say, my dad's not that religious. And my dad died. And my dad blatantly didn't pray. Somebody else comes and says, wait, my dad missed some salah, but he used to pray most of the time, but he's missed some salah. I, as the eldest son, have to pray both the prayers for him. As an imagine your dad's missed 60 years of salah. So now you, as the eldest son, have to make up these. No, either the eldest son or the wali. It doesn't have to be the eldest son. It could be one of the guardians of the family. They are the ones who make up the salah for who? For your father. Now some ulama make it clear that if your father blatantly didn't pray, then it's not fair to make the eldest son pray for a dad who blatantly didn't pray. Imagine you come to somebody, his dad doesn't pray and he's not interested in salah. And then they tell the eldest son, listen buddy, you're going to have to make up for your dad's salah. That's not right. You make up for your father's salah, which is qada, the ones that he didn't intentionally want to miss. Yes. The ones that all of us are affected by. But if that eldest son makes up their father's salah, then the ring of their father that he used to wear has to go to that son. And the clothing of the father goes towards that son as well. Some people might turn around and say, what's clothing? What's rings? If you see some fights over inheritance, you'll realize these are quite important things. Therefore, Salat al-Qadha, those who turn around and say, I have Qadha prayers, start praying those Qadha prayers straight away. But know one thing, that as long as the effort is there from the person, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all forgiving. Others turned around and said, wait, do I really have to make up all those Salah? Can't Ahlul Bayt just give me Shafa'ah on the day of judgment look after me? One incident happened with our sixth Imam that completely refuted this idea. When an Imam is dying, the last sentence he utters is always the most important. Don't you agree? As in the Imams of Ahlul Bayt, all of their words are treasures. But the last words that they utter are always lessons for everybody. As in when Imam Ali, before he died, his last words were wrote. Words such as, I have won by the Lord of the Kaaba. Or it is for this that the doers do what they do. One imam in particular, when he was dying, his wife made it clear. However Shia you are, and however many, many majalis you've been to, 
No one thing that without salah, us Ahlul Bayt will never stand up for you. Understand this one. Who said this? Hamida, the wife of our sixth Imam. Don't we all call ourselves Ja'fari? When they ask you, what's your madhab? What do you say? I'm Ja'fari. Meaning that I follow the teachings of Ja'far bin Muhammad. I am honored to follow Imam Sadiq. There are others in this crowd tonight. We have Hanafis here in this crowd. We have Malikis in this crowd. We have Shafi'is in this crowd. We have Hanbalis in this crowd. I'm honored to say in the last couple of nights, many of our brothers from other schools in Islam have been in our Majalis. I'm honored to say this. And this is a sign of the respect of Masjid al-Husayn and Nasta. The excellent character of the congregants of Majlis al-Husayn and Masjid al-Husayn. And the respect has to be given that there are others who follow other schools in Islam. We can come here, we can agree to agree. There might be areas where we can agree to disagree. But ultimately our aim is to get closer to the Prophet and his family. That's ultimately the aim. When I call myself a Ja'fari, I'm not dismissing Abu Hanifa or Malik or a Shafi or Ahmed bin Hanbal. As scholars of law, they're all in their own right scholars of law who left behind great texts of law. But to me, Ja'far bin Muhammad, his knowledge is different to theirs. Their knowledge is acquired. His knowledge is immediate. Their knowledge is acquired. They have teachers, some of them, two of them studied under him. Abu Hanifa and Malik. Of the four schools of fiqh, Abu Hanifa and Malik bin Anas studied under Imam al-Sadiq. So why should I follow the students? I'd rather follow the teacher. Imam al-Sadiq was on his deathbed. When he's on his deathbed, who's next to him? His wife from North Africa. Imam al-Sadiq was married to a great lady. Her name was Hamida al-Barbariya. You know the Berbers? The Berbers? Going towards the Algeria and Morocco. In this area, you'll find the Berbers, wonderful people, honorable people. Imams number six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, all married from North Africa. Would you let your daughter marry someone from North Africa? Or would you let your son marry someone from North Africa? You say to me, say, Ammar, East Africa, I'll give. But if I were to ask you, would you give your daughter to somebody from West Africa, Nigeria, Senegal, Ivory Coast? I already see heads turning the other direction. Hey, the Imams, they married from where? North Africa. Even Imam, why don't you marry a Sayyidah from Medina? No, relax. I'm Sayyid. I'm not just Sayyid. I'm the king of Sayyids. But I don't need to marry a Sayyid. I'll marry somebody who's a great human with great tough. Number six, number seven, number eight, number nine, number ten, number eleven. None of them married Sayyid. They didn't marry. They were Sayyids. They didn't marry a Sayyid. No problem. They married somebody. When I hear today that a Sayyid boy comes to me because I'll only marry a Sayyid. I will follow Ahlul Bayt, my brother. If you find a Sayyid, Allah on you. You are, I'm sure, a great Sayyid in your own fantasy world. But if you find somebody from the Ahlul Bayt, it's great. If you don't, then find a girl who's a girl of taqwa. Hamid al-Barbariya. Imam al-Sadiq used to tell people, if you, do, if you want to ask questions, you don't have to come to me. You can go to my wife. She will answer like I answer. The ladies would go to her and the gents would go to him. 
She says, when Abu Basir says, I walked into Imam Sadiq. When he was dying, as you know, he was the oldest of the Imams when he died. Imam Sadiq was 68 when he died. So he was the oldest of the Imams of Ahlul Bayt when they died. He says, I walked in on Imam Sadiq and Hamida. And I asked Hamida, what did he say just before he died? Because he gave his condolences to Hamid and he said, Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'un. And he looked towards and he said to her, Oh Hamida, what did the Imam say? She said to him, Oh Abu Basir, when Imam Sadiq was dying, his last sentence was uh, this sentence, La tanalu shafa'atuna mustakhiffan bisalatih. Our shafa'a will not help those who neglect salah. Allahu Akbar. Because you know what the day of judgment is all about. If I would be frank with you, my conclusion is you need Al Muhammad big time on that day. And we need Allah's Rahmah on that day. If Allah judges us by his justice, nobody goes Jannah except 14. If he judges us by his Rahmah, we have a chance. If Allah judges me and you by his justice, we don't have a chance. Because I can't wake up in the middle of the night for Fajr to thank you. Yet when I have a 6 a.m. flight for a wedding, I've collected the kids, got them ready, jumped up and gone to the airport. What's more important, the appointment for a wedding or the appointment with the creator of every wedding? Yeah. I want Ahlul Bayt Shafa'a. I want Imam Sadiq to stand for me on that day and say, let them in. And I want his grandfather, Amir al-Mu'mineen, who's the one who splits heaven and hell. Don't you agree? Who is the Qasim of the Nar and Jannah? Except Ali, son of Abu Talib. I want them to stand for me. Imam Sadiq knew that there were some Muslims who started to play games with religion. I'll go mosque. I'll do ziyara to Karbala. I love Ahlul Bayt. But Salah, well, when I feel like it. Not just when I feel like it. I begin to neglect it. Some days I pray, some days I don't. Question arose. What does it mean to be one who neglects salah? What does that mean? Because Imam al-Sadiq said, La tanalu shafa'atuna Our shafa'a, our shafa'a, will not help the one who neglects the salah. What does neglect mean? The first meaning of neglect is the one who doesn't know the laws of salah. And praise full of lack of understanding of the origin of why they do what they do. Because you find many people come and ask us, why you Shia, your prayers are different? For what reason? You people, your adhan is different to our adhan. You people, your wudu is different to our wudu. You people, you pray on a black stone committing shirk every day. Yes, when they see the turbah. You people combine salah instead of separating of salah. These questions, we get asked them all the time. One way I neglect salah is not knowing how to answer these questions. Do you agree? I, one way I understand salah is by understanding why I do what I do. What is the origin of what I do? For example, when someone comes and tells me that you people, your adhan is different to our adhan. No, it's not different. What's different about my adhan from yours? I do the same takbir. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. 
Because Adhan is a vital component of Salah. Do you know when you do Adhan before you pray, the angels become your Jama'ah in Salah. Yes. There are many straight to Allahu Akbar. Bismillah ar-Rahman. No, no, wait. Just 30 seconds. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Ashhadu an. Say it before you start. Because malaika become the first rows of jama'ah behind you. Suddenly the energy of your salah is different. But they say, you people, your adhan is different. How is my adhan different? They say, you say, Ashhadu anna aliyan waliyallah. That you say, Ashhadu anna aliyan waliyallah. That's not part of salah. That's not part of the adhan. Ashhadu anna aliyan waliyallah is a mustahab part of the adhan. Not wajib. The wajib part, even though adhan in itself is mustahab. <laughs> but ashadu anna aliyan waliyullah is what? It's not obligatory to say ashadu anna aliyan waliyullah. Why do we say it? Because whenever you praise the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him and his family, you should send your blessings on Amir al-Mu'mineen. Don't you agree? We have a hadith that says this. And I believe anyway in ashadu anna aliyan waliyullah. That's my firm belief. I believe that Ali is the wali of Allah. But when it comes to Adhan, when they say to me that you add Ashhadu Anna Ali and Waliullah, I reply by saying, no, on the contrary. It's not part of the wajib of the Adhan. It's a mustahab part, which a person says, out of their love for Amir al-Mu'mineen. In other schools in Islam, there are parts of the Adhan which are added. And yet I have no problem listening to that part of the Adhan when I go to Hajj. I go to Hajj. Every morning I hear, As-salatu khayrun minal. No, prayer is better than sleep. Ask anybody. As-salatu khayrun minan noom. Originated from where? From the second Khalifa. He originated as-salatu khayrun minan noom. But he said this is his innovation. Now, that's the opinion of another school in Islam. I'm not going to mock that opinion. But when you say to me, Ashhadu anna aliyan waliyallah. No, Ashhadu anna aliyan waliyallah. Its origin is Quranic. When the Quran had said, "Inna waliyukum Allahu wa Rasuluhu wa ladina amanu, aladina yuqimun al-salata wa yutun al-zakat wa hum raqiun." Imam Ali in the famous story where he gave away his ring in where in salah. Allah made him his wali after he had made the Prophet his wali. Therefore, number one, they say your wudu is different. How is my wudu different? All of these are vital in my lack of neglect of salah. When I neglect salah, is when I don't know why I do wudu, why I do adhan. Why I do what I do? Why I pray on Torah? They say your wudu is different. How is my wudu different? They say you, the Shia, you wipe your feet. You should wash your feet. The Quran tells me to wipe. In Surah 5 verse 6, the Quran says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, Ida qumtum ila salati, Faghsilu wujuhakum wa aidiyakum ila al- Ghusl, what does it mean? Ghusl means wash. Do you agree? I ask all of you. Ghusl, what does it mean? Ghusl means to wash. The ayah says, إِذَا قُمْتُمْ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ فَغَسِّلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ إِلَى الْمَرَاتَ وَمْسَحُوا مَسْحُ What does مَسْحُ mean? I ask all of you. Wipe. So I say, brother, the Quran is saying to you that in wudu, which is a wajib component of salah, and mind you, wudu is not just that I get water. Yes, mom, I'll be down in five seconds, one second. Tell him to answer the phone. I never forget it was in this mosque. All of you remember well when I explained wudu in the eyes of 
Ayatollah al-Khomeini. How many of you remember? When I said, what is wudu? When I put that water on the face, I ask Allah to put nur on this face on the day of judgment. When I wipe my right hand, when I wash my right hand, I say, Ya Allah, allow me to be of the people of the right hand on the day of judgment. Ashab al-Yameen, rather than Ashab al-Shimal. Likewise, you find therefore, when it came to wudu, they say to you that we wash. But if the Quran says wipe, why are you washing? says because it makes the feet even cleaner if we wash. No, no, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying wipe. No, but if we wash, it makes it cleaner. It's true. Washing does make it cleaner. But if my Lord has said wipe, Allah is very specific in his laws. Very specific. You go to the bathroom, there is a law for this, a law for that, a law for this, a law for that. Allah is specific. You can't work on this idea, but in my opinion. Otherwise, someone commits a certain Islamic act which deserves a punishment. Let's say 100 lashes. I'm going to give him 5,000 lashes. Why? Why 5,000? This is 100. He says, no, no, because he'll definitely get hurt with 5,000. Allah is saying 100, you're saying 5,000. Likewise, when it comes to wudu, wudu, the Quran said wipe. And subhanAllah, my dear brothers and sisters, wallah, you look at the difference between wiping and washing. Washing your feet. Those of you who've been on an airline going to Hajj. I don't know if there's a war happening in the bathroom. Wallah, I don't know. Is there a war? As in when a person's in a bathroom, this Emirates Airlines or the Saudi, their stewardesses and their stewards are thinking this is a religion or this is a group of, I don't know. Wallah, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. And you go and you're, you're seeing people. It's the sink in an airplane. We can just about fit our hands in. The sink in an airplane. Wallah, even if you sit in business or first. Even then, you're just about, okay, alhamdulillah, I'm just about comfortable. Economy, the sink is, the baby, you get six months old, eight months old, you bring him near the sink in an economy. Will Quran, you'll find that person just about washing their hands. This person's decided to be like a, Gymnast in a bathroom trying to stick their feet in. Ya Habibi, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, everything he does is rational. Allah says that when you wipe your head and then like a, like a decent person, go down on the ground, wipe your feet, leave there without having left a scene in the bathroom. It's a bathroom, not a bloodbath. Wallah, it's a bathroom. A person goes to a bathroom. Therefore, my wudu. Adhan had a meaning. The angels are with us. Wudu, spiritually, not just splashing water. I'm reciting ayahs of the Quran. I'm talking to my Lord. Then they say, and you are the people who combine salah. Combine, you can combine. Or you can separate. Yes, in the school of Ahlul Bayt. If you want to combine, it's because the Holy Prophet, peace be upon his time. Not just in my literature. In the literature of other schools in Islam. Used to sometimes combine Maghrib and Isha. Or you should separate. If you want to separate, Alhamdulillah, separate. Is that I'm getting in your way. You want to do Dhuhr, 1.15. And you want to do Asr, let's say at 4.17. Am I getting in your way? But I may have a job where I work, where that lunch break, I don't have all day. I don't have all day in my lunch break. When I don't have all day, I've got two options. Either I pray the prayer at two minutes before I get home. Now become qada. Or, on the other hand, I make sure that I combine them. So that I pray them at the perfect time to be prayed. 
combination levels of they say you people what is this you praise your sujood on a black stone nothing to do with salah you're praying your sujood on a black stone or on this torba more sajdagar whatever you call it it's because i see that my prophet peace be upon his family when he was in medina there certainly weren't no carpets in that mosque in medina there was no saudi royal family that had come yet so we didn't have lots of marble and we didn't have lots of carpets. What we had was these stones or pebbles on the ground because my prophet taught me that the philosophy of sujood isn't just No. I will prostrate on earth recognizing that I came to earth and I will return back to earth. And that it's such a short space of time. When I get up in the middle, that's how life will seem when you wake up on the day of judgment. Subhana Rabbi al-A'la wa bihamda. I get up. Allahu Akbar. Astaghfirullah Rabbi wa atub Because that whole moment is a metaphor for the day of judgment. You were on this earth. You went to Barzakh. You've woken up. Say astaghfirullah, it's done. Whole philosophy to salah. Why do people go to yoga now? Because we were taught when we were younger, salah, pray it or you'll burn in hell. Is that the way to teach someone salah? Pray or you'll burn. No. Pray so that you build the connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you build humility and gratitude. Therefore, when I pray on clay, it's because the best thing to pray on, which explains the philosophy of salah, is earth. Any earth. Can I pray on Leicester's earth? Yes. Loughborough's earth. Just here, I find some plot of earth. Can I pray there? Yeah. Can I pray on the earth of London? Yes. But there are certain pieces of earth where great personalities walked. You agree? There are certain places great personalities fell. There are certain places, great personalities read dua. Those places, the earth, if we believe in the seen and the unseen, there is an energy to that earth. Don't you agree? There's an energy. Zachariah saw Maryam when he couldn't have kids. He saw Maryam reading dua in the mihrab. He went to that mihrab and he read a dua to Allah. That, ya Allah, Maryam prayed to you. You sent her fruits of the winter and the summer and fruits of the summer and the winter. Ya Allah, I don't have a child. Zakaria could have read dua anywhere. But he read where Maryam sat. In Saudi, you know, I haven't been to Saudi now for a few years. Well, I don't think we were on the best of terms for a few years and... When I did go a few years back, I remember the person blatantly saying to me, why do you guys have to come here reading your dua? Here, go read your dua back in the hotel. And I said to him that Maryam, when, she read, when Zachariah read his dua, why did he read at the mihrab of Maryam? Why did he just read anywhere? Because we recognize in the beauty of the energy of somebody Allah has chosen where they sat, where they prayed, where they talked, where they walked, where they fell. Don't you agree? So therefore, I pray on the clay of Karbala because the very meaning of Salah was protected by that man. Nobody established Salah like him. 
And nobody taught us. It's not how long your salah is. It's the presence of your qalb in your salah. I don't mind if someone prays a salah five minutes or they pray 25. It doesn't make a difference. It's how much your heart was present when you were talking to Allah. Imam summarizes beautifully. What does he say? He says, oh God, I don't worship you out of fear of hell. For that's the worship of a slave. Nor do I worship you because I want heaven. That's the worship of a businessman. I worship you, O oh Allah, because I found you worthy of being worshipped. That's the worship of a free human being. Can you summarize ibadah like Ali and the sons of Ali? Therefore, in ziyara every year, what do we say? Ashadu annaka qad aqamta Imam al-Hussain, when we say, Ashhadu annaka qad aqamta salah on a Thursday night, what do we mean by this? Salah and its meaning would have been destroyed were it not for Aba Abdullah standing in Karbala. Because the man in Sham was a man of no salah, no religion even. The man in Sham. Who some have the audacity to say Yazid Radi Allah How? 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 Yazid, they say Radi Allah. Yazid himself, his mom is Christian. He didn't like Islam. He loved his mom's family more than his dad. But still, even in front of Sayyidah Zainab, he said, Later, Ashiyahi bi Bedrin Shahidu. I wish my ancestors from Badr were present. To see what I've done today. When he says I wish my ancestors from Badr. Who are they? Who's his ancestors from Badr? Yazid's father Muawiyah. His mother Hind. Her father Utbah bin Rabi'ah. Was the commander at Badr against Rasulullah. He said I wish my ancestors from Badr were present. When he said that, what does he mean? He means, I want to destroy this religion the way they wanted to destroy this religion. One man stood in his way. A man who said, a man like me does not pledge allegiance to a man like him. He ensured salah was established. And how? Not by preaching to others to pray salah. Showing himself as the example. There are many parents. Have you prayed? Have you prayed? Have you prayed? And the kids look at that thinking, I haven't seen you get up for salah. You can't be telling the kids get up salah, 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 salah when you yourself are lazy in salah. Aba Abdullah showed himself. I will pray irrespective of whether the arrows of the opposition break us. Because look how important salah was to him. Firstly, on the night of the 10th, when they were ready to attack Imam al-Hussein's army, they were ready to come and kill Imam al-Hussein. And Imam al-Hussein said to Umar bin Sa'ad in negotiations that happened, they reached a standstill. And Imam al-Hussein looked at Abel Fadl. He said, Abel Fadl, go and ask them. Tell them we just want one more night. Why? Because Uhibbu salat I love salat Allah. I love Salat. Not to pray. If he had said, I just want to pray, that's different. I love Salat. And I love the Quran. And they say that Imam al-Hussein and his companions that last night 
It's like the humming bees or just you can hear tasbih and salah. Akbar in his sujood and Qasim next to him and all the rest who were around him. On the 10th of Muharram, how did he pray? He prayed on the 10th of Muharram a salah called Salat al-Khawf. Salat al-Khawf is a prayer in a state of difficulty or fear. Abu Abdullah wasn't scared of them, but he's scared for his ashab. Because these ashab, one by one, he doesn't want the arrows to come flooding on them. But you know what's so beautiful about his ashab? They said to him, Abu Abdullah, when he asked, I'm about to pray. And you know, Salat al-Khawf is done in a qasr. It doesn't matter even if it's done in an area where you're not traveling. Because of the state of war, even if it's in your own area, you still pray it qasr. Because obviously there's arrows and everything flying. So you pray it, Allah lightens the burden. Imam al-Hussain turned around and said, I'm going to pray. Which of you is ready to support me? One stood up, Sa'id al-Hanafi. He said to him, Abba Abdullah, if I am killed and cut to pieces a thousand times and resurrected again and again and again, it would be my honor to die protecting you and protecting Salah. Allahu Akbar. Therefore, what did you find? You found that at this moment, Sa'id al-Hanafi, who was one of the supporters of Imam al-Hussein in Kufa. And that's why I always say, don't attack the people of Kufa. There were many good lovers of Ahl al-Bayt there. You found that this Sa'id al-Hanafi stood in front of Imam al-Hussein. I ask all of you, if you're a true Husseini, would you pray Salah in the middle of a battlefield where arrows are about to come all over you? And that Sa'id al-Hanafi stood in front of Abu Abdullah, chest out. Why? Protection of Salah, number one. Number two, he could not bear to see an arrow touch the neck that Rasulullah kissed. He couldn't bear to see that. He knew that that neck was a neck that the Prophet used to kiss. That neck was a neck that Fatima used to stroke. And he could not bear to see this. So he stood. Can you imagine Umar bin Sa'ad's army looking from far away? And they see one man standing there. Chest out. And while he stood there, Abu Abdullah began his salah. By the time Imam al-Hussein had finished, one of the narrators say 13 arrows all over his body of Sa'id al-Hanafi. And he said, has my loyalty been shown, Abu Abdullah? And then he fell on the ground. All in the protection of something which our own people show laziness in. You want to be a companion of Imam of your time? Look at the companions of the Imam of that time. They protected their salah. They protected their mawla. And do you think it was only the elders of them? Because some might say, well, he's an elder. So he's going to be someone who prays salah. Wallah, there were even children seven and eight. Who died and their last wish was, let us pray to Ruka'ah. Who? Muslim bin Aqil's two boys. Allah. Muslim bin Aqil. May Allah bless all the lovers of Muslim tonight. Allah. Tonight I'm going to recite for you a musibah. I'm, don't come out with this musibah. I don't narrate it too often. It's about another of the sons of Muslim. Every year we remember Muhammad and Ibrahim, don't we? Tiflan Muslim. There's another son. He survived Karbala. I'm going to come to him shortly. 
Muslim and Aqil had five sons. How many? Five sons. And he had two daughters. He had Muhammad Al-Akbar. Muhammad Al-Azgar. He had Ibrahim. He had Abdullah. And he had Ahmed. And he had two daughters. One called Atika and the other called Hamida. And he was married to Imam al Hussein's sister. Imam al Hussein had a sister called Ruqayya. Muslim was married to her. You find that these children of Muslim had not seen dad for a long time. The first thing, the first of the orphans of Karbala were them. How were they the first orphans in Karbala? Because they are the ones who had to see Imam al Hussein when he came to the daughter of Muslim bin Aqeel. Hamida, he patted her on her head. And when he patted her on her head, what do the narrations mention? That the moment he patted her on her head, she looked up at him. She said, Aba Abdullah, have I become an orphan, O uncle? And he said to her, Yes. How did you know? She said, Because you only pat a head of an orphan like that. And he looked towards her, Imam al Hussein. He said to her, Know one thing that my daughters are like your sisters, and my sons are like your brothers. And then all of a sudden, Sukaina bint al Hussein came to her. She said to her, Don't worry, Hamida, I'm here for you. I ask everyone in this hall who has a heart. Who came for Sukaina bint al-Husayn? Who came for her when the horse returned back without a rider? Who came? When the horse came back, there was no rider. Who came to hug Sukaina? I'll tell you. Shimmer's stick came to hug. Shimmer's whip came to hug. That's what came. The whips of Shimmer bin al-Joshan came to attack. You found that Hamida and her brother Muhammad al-Akbar, Muhammad al-Azhar, and who else? You had Atika, and you had Ahmed, and you had Abdullah. I don't think people know, you know, Imam al-Sadiq has a hadith, it breaks my heart whenever I read it. He says, we don't tell you everything that happened at Karbala. Out of fear you might die. <laughs> I said to him, oh Imam, I'm already dead. Is there more to Karbala? Imam Sadiq says, we don't tell our Shia everything that happened. They might die. Night of the 11th of Muharram, or the afternoon of the 11th of the 10th of Muharram, going into the night, Umar bin Sa'ad and Shimr bin Al-Joshan ordered, burn the tents. Atika, daughter of Muslim and Aqil, was trying to run away from one of the horses. She tripped over. The horse dug into her chest. Ruqayya, the wife of Muslim, a widow at this stage. She said, Sayyida Zainab, what do I do? Sayyida Zainab said, some of them you have to keep, others you have to let go. She said, so I have to let, she said, I have to let go. They have to find their own way. Two of them left. Muhammad and Ibrahim. Muhammad and Ibrahim left. They ran away from Karbala. Both of them were young boys. They ran away. When they ran away, they were lost in the wilderness. Where do we go? Our father Muslim is dead. Where do we go? Where are we now? 
You find that they started saying that, where are we? What's happening? What's going on over here for all of us? The narrations, what do they mention? The narrations mention that they were in the wilderness. A caravan came past. These two innocent boys, where are you from? We are from Medina. What are you doing here? We were from Imam al-Hussein's army. Okay, come with us. Where? We're going to give you to Ibn Ziyad. They took the two boys to Ibn Ziyad. They placed them in a jail there. Alhamdulillah, in that jail, there was a person who was a lover of Ahlul Bayt. That person turned around to them. They looked at him. They said, oh man, please. We are the nephews of Muslim or the sons of Muslim. He said to them, you're the sons of Muslim. That means that your grandfather is Aqil. He said, yes. And your other grandfather is my Mawla, Amir al-Mu'mineen. He said, yes. So quickly get out. They ran out. They went away from Kufa. But again in the wilderness. May Allah never show your two children a place where they don't know who to go to. They don't know who to talk to. You're not there for them. For them to be supported. One afternoon they lay by the Furat, the two of them. Muhammad holding Ibrahim. Ibrahim holding Muhammad. This maid servant was coming past. When she was coming past, she looked at them. She said, what are you two boys doing? The moment they saw her come near them, they jumped in fear. She said, what's wrong with this? They said, please don't hit us. Our family is not with us. I ask you, how much had these boys been hit that they were scared of any lady that would even come near them? How much did they hit Sukaina? How much did they hit Ruqayya? All of the children of Ahlul Bayt. The narrations mention that the lady said, listen, my lady who owns the house, she loves Ahlul Bayt. She will look after you. And truly the lady who owns the house came out. She said to them, do not worry, young man. But one thing I will say to you, my husband is looking for you. There's a reward to find you. Allahu Akbar. That night, both of these two children of Muslim and Aqib trying to hold on to each other. One of them suddenly woke up. He made a noise as he woke up because he saw his family in his dream. That husband of hers turned around. He said, name yourself. Who are you? He turned around and said, I am Muhammad, the son of Muslim bin Aqil. The other one, he said, I am Ibrahim, the son of Muslim bin Aqil. He said, I've been looking for you too. And there's a reward. And now is the time I'll take your life. He took both of them to the Farad. He laid both of them there. The way Shimmer laid their uncle on his chest. Likewise, he laid the both of them there. Do you know what they did? One was eight, the other was seven. They looked at him. They said to him, oh man... Before you take us, before you kill us, can we ask something? He said, what is it? He said, they said, let us pray two ruk'ah of salah. Allahu Akbar. Look at the education of Al-Muhammad. Let us pray two ruk'ah of salah. It showed that number one, Al-Muhammad pretended salah. But then number two, you can never be too young to teach your children how to pray salah. They both got up, they prayed their salah. Muhammad and Ibrahim, the elder of them, looked at the man. He said, oh man, take my life. I'm the elder brother. Allah. The other one said, no, but I'm younger than you. I should obey you. The man said, I'm going to take both of your lives. Then all of a sudden, Muhammad looked at him. He said to him, oh man, at least don't take my life for the sake of the fact that we are your guests. He said to them, I'm going to behead the both of you. Oh man, don't take our lives for the sake that we are your neighbors. I'm going to behead the both of you. Oh man, don't take our lives for the sake that we are from the family of Rasulullah. He said, I'm going to take the both of you. 
the narrations mention that as he came to struck one of the brothers, the other one put his neck on the way. He could not bear. Do you know why? He saw the same way that Abbas put his neck for Hussein. He wanted to do the same. Allah. All of you saw that Abel Fad when Imam Al Hussein took his head. What did Abel Fad say? He said, No, 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 I can't. How can you take my head? In a moment, Shimmer takes your head. Likewise with these two, the narrations mentioned that they both were beheaded right at that moment. But they had one more brother. The others had gone. The others had survived. There was one more brother of theirs who survived. His name was Ahmed, the son of Muslim bin Aqil. He survived after Karbala, after Kufa, after Sham. But then he had to go into hiding because Ibn Ziyad had wanted to find him. One day, this person, he was where? In the land of Medina. Nobody knew who he was. He, one man narrates, he said, while I was in Medina, I saw this man, this young man in his teens. I looked at him, he looked at me. He said to me, man, what is the news? He said, I'm heading to Kufa. They, he said that the man, young man looked and he said, why Kufa? He said, because did you not hear the news? He said, which news? He said, Mukhtar al-Thaqafi has just killed Harmala bin Kahil, the killer of the six-month-old baby. I'm going to Kufa because Mukhtar has avenged what took place in Karbala. The young man looked at him. He said to him, can I join you? He said to him, you want to come? He said, yes. He said, but do you know anything about what took place at Karbala five years ago? He said to him, I know some of the things that took place. He said to him, okay, very well, come with me. He said, what's your name, young man? He said, my name is Ahmed. He said, okay, very well, we'll go, let us go. They both reached Kufa. Mukhtar had opened his house to everybody. Everybody was allowed to come because Mukhtar avenged Harmala and Ibn Ziyad and Umar bin Sa'ad and Shimar bin Al-Jawshan. Mukhtar said, welcome to everybody. All of a sudden, that man says, I walked in with this young man. He said, the moment I walked in with the young man, Mukhtar said, welcome to the both of you. Come sit next to me. He said at that moment, I looked at the man, what's your name? I gave my name. He then looked at the other young man. He said, what's your name? He said, I'm Ahmed. He looked at him and he said to him, oh young man, from which tribe do you originate? He said to him, from which tribe do you originate? He said to him, I come from Bani Hashim. Allahu Akbar. And which part of Bani Hashim do you originate? Allah, which part of Bani Hashim? He said to him, I come from the family of Aqil, the son of Abu Talib. Muslim, at this moment, Mukhtar was baffled. What do you mean? What do you mean? Is there still someone surviving? He said to him, young man, name yourself. He said, I am Ahmed, the son of a Muslim bin Aqeel. Mukhtar at this moment began to slap his head. He looked towards him. He said to him, young man, come with me. Let's visit Zayn al-Abideen. Allah. <laughs> Let's visit Zayn al-Abideen. Open up your heart to Imam Zayn al-Abideen. 
Imagine this young man, Ahmed, for years hadn't seen Imam Zain al-Abideen because of torture and oppression and he had lost his two brothers in front of him. Eventually, Mukhtar took him. He said, Mawla Zain al-Abideen, I brought someone to see you. The moment Ahmed's eyes laid on the eyes of Imam Zain al-Abideen, but both began to remember Karabala. What did they remember? They remembered when Abel father lost his right and his left arm in front of them. Oh, Ahmed, did you see the way they slapped Zainab in Kufa? Oh, Ahmed, did you see the way they hit Sukaina? Oh, Ahmed, did you see the way they paraded their heads on the street? Oh, Ahmed, were you there when Shimmer sat on the chest of my father? <laughs> Raise your hands, my dear brothers and sisters. We pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. With all your tears, may Allah bless all of you. We pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to raise us with Muhammad and Al Muhammad. Ya Allah, allow us to be amongst those who protect their salah. In the way Imam al Hussein protected salah on the 10th of Muharram, we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the Surah Al Fatiha, but before it, the loudest of your salawah.